If you have your Bible and would like to follow along, please do so as we turn to Matthew chapter 22. I'll be reading verses 34 through 40 today. Uh, the greater passage goes through verse 46, but I've selected today a section that will go through verse 40. These are very familiar verses to you if you've been in church even just a little bit. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with, his, with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Theologian Paul Tillich once said, The first duty of love is to listen. And if you're familiar with Stephen Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Habit 5 is seek first to understand, then to be understood. These two concepts are critical for 2020. We are experiencing the stress and anxiety of a global pandemic. There is economic uncertainty. People have lost their jobs. People have been isolated. There is anger due to systemic racial injustices that we have experienced. And many will agree that we have never seen such a political division in our nation. Friends and family um, are divided. So are many Christians. Many Christians say more about Trump or Biden than we ever say about Jesus. And I've got to pause and think about that as a Christian. We are quick to post something or send a tweet. I've done that. If we could just listen more and say less, perhaps relationships would have survived, would be better. Maybe we would not dread gathering around the, th the table at Thanksgiving. Some questions. All this deserves our attention. How are we Christians to engage in the public square without leaving our faith at home? What is our faith posture? What is our center? In today's passage, we have a very clear answer from Jesus, and it will fit in a tweet. If you're not familiar with tweets, they're on a social media site called Twitter that allows people to post things up to 280 characters. So you can say just that much. In just a few words in Matthew's gospel, Jesus answers a tough theological question. The Pharisees gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? 
The Greek word translated test is the same Greek word we find in Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. Jesus' ministry is framed with tests from his opponents. At the beginning of his ministry in the wilderness, and now in the last week of his life as he journeys to the cross, yes, again tests. The beginning by the adversary and the end by his adversaries. This was a difficult question for sure. No matter how Jesus answered it, no one would be happy. The scribes declared that, were, that there were 248 affirmative precepts, as many as the members in the human body, and 355 negative precepts, as many as the days in the year, the total being 613, the number of letters in the Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments. If you name one, you'll be accused of ignoring the others. If you say they are all great, you look weak for not answering the question at all. Jesus could have said that all ten of the commandments were equally important, or that the book of Leviticus was the greatest expression of God's law, or that the entire Torah, the first five books in the Hebrew Scriptures, contain the fullness of all of the commandments of God. But instead, Jesus gave a tweet. Jesus gave a tweet-sized response. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus names the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Seventy-four characters, the greatest tweet, if you will permit me to use that terminology. Twitter allows 280 characters. Jesus said it in about one-fourth of the allowable space of a tweet. On this powerful formulation, Jesus says, hang all the law and the prophets. Case closed. Done deal. And it's important to note that the Greek word translated hang, that they all, these words the, the law and the prophet hang on these words. That same word is the, is the word used to portray Jesus as he hung on the cross. The same word. A preaching professor once said that in answering this particular way, our Lord names his center, his core, with this greatest of commandments, his center. Jesus is tweeting the center of his ministry, the center of his mission, the center of the kingdom he has been sent to proclaim and to build. The center is love. That's an even shorter tweet than the greatest of the commandments that I just talked about. If you distill it down, it's four characters, L-O-V-E, love. Paul writes, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, 
always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. John writes in the epistle, the first epistle of John, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The pastor I mentioned, or the commentator a minute ago, continues, By naming his center, Jesus reveals something not only about himself, but also about God. Jesus is telling us that God's law, finally and forever, is the law of love. It's that simple, and it's that difficult. He writes, because loving others means putting them first. It means sacrificing. It means being vulnerable to the needs of those who are around us. Frederick Buechner writes, The love for equals is a human thing of friend for friend, brother for brother. It is to love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely. This is compassion, and it touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail. To rejoice without envy with those who rejoice. The love of the poor for the rich, of the black man for the white man. The world is always bewildered by the saints. And then Beekner says, and then there is a love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love. He writes, it conquers the world. Love never fails. It conquers all. For Jesus, along with God, the center is love. If we would say that this is his tweet for us, in just a few characters, that tweet says a lot about the person, about his center, The problem with tweeting for us is it's so easy to do. You can put a message out there on Twitter or social media without having to back it up. You can just throw it out there and hurt someone. If we're going to follow our Lord and Messiah in a life of love, we're going to have to put our words into actions. Let me illustrate. The story is told of a hospital chaplain that served a hospital in Washington, D.C. And some years ago, he was visiting a resident in that mental hospital. She was a permanent resident there. And he told her again and again how much God loved her. He felt that she needed to hear this since her mental illness was so distressing and her life as an inpatient was so very difficult. The woman listened to him for some time, and then she responded, quote, Chaplain, don't tell me how much God loves me. First, you love me, then I'll know that God loves me. First, you love me, then I'll know God loves me. Our tweets about love are going to sound empty unless we back them up. 
Through the last days of his earthly life, Jesus remained committed to this greatest tweet. And he put it into action. Soon after offering the love commandment, he gathered his disciples, broke bread, and shared the cup. Take, eat. This is my body, he said. Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He shared that meal. He shared himself out of love. Then he was arrested, flogged, and nailed to a cross. He cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. He gave his life, his body, and his blood out of love, sheer love for us. When Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he's not just tweeting. He's not just putting out words. Rather, he's giving us the center of who we, he is, and he's backing it up with his own life. I believe that's what the woman was talking about when she addressed the chaplain. Show me your love. Don't just tell me. Show me your love. Jesus showed us his love. He went to the cross filled with love. He loved the Lord God with all his heart, soul, mind, and he loved neighbor as himself. He loved us enough to die for our sins. And he expects us to receive his love and share it and show it. And for us, often this means change. Reflecting on how we have been trying to live it out and asking him to help us. At its center, Christianity is about systemic change. God so loved the world that he sent his son to save it. Existing outside the system he created, God intervenes with the greatest energy to redeem it. As Martin Luther King Jr., drawing on his own faith, famously said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Jesus didn't just tell us that God loved us, he showed us. And that helps us to know that God loves us. When it comes to love, Jesus is not just throwing out tweets. He's following up. He's a doer. And he invites us to do the very same. And it's not easy, y'all. I've been reading a book recently called Alone Together. It's a compilation of essays, poetry, and interviews during the extraordinary time of COVID-19. The proceeds from the book go to help small booksellers who have really struggled over this pandemic. It's edited by Jennifer Haupt, H-A-U-P-T, Alone Together. I was moved by the short story in the book entitled Feeding My Heart and Soul by Andrea King Collier, a freelance writer based out of Michigan. She says that she's spending a fortune on groceries during the pandemic. Some of you might agree with that, too. More than pre-virus, she writes. It's the only way I get out of the house. My daily grocery runs, armed with my mask, wipes, and hand sanitizer, have replaced going to the bookstore, meeting friends for coffee, visiting my grandchildren, and so forth. It's been this way since March. Sometimes I go to the store, she writes, when I don't need anything. She said the trips to the store remind her of her grandfather, 
When I was little, she says, I went to the grocery store almost every day with my grandfather. I never asked why. I just did it. I didn't care. I just wanted to be with him. They call these teachable moments. He showed me how to pick out tomatoes so that it would be just right, how to tell if a chicken was too big and would be tough, and also to check the dates on the dairy products and so much more. And she says, one day we were in the A&P store. Do you all remember the A&P, some of you? Atlantic and Pacific. It's an old grocery store, y'all. One day I was in the A&P. And she said, a white woman whose toddler was perched on the front seat of the grocery cart called us something that, well, I can't repeat. It was startling because our little shopping trips had been so uneventful. I had wondered how my grandfather managed to control himself, and he continued to put beans and rice and onions into the cart. A few aisles later, we saw the same woman. And she was screaming and crying because her toddler was choking on something. And everybody just stood around fretting, but nobody did anything. Nobody stepped up to do anything. And my grandfather, Collier writes, who knew how to fix everything, held out his hands and told the lady to give the baby to him. He was the only thing standing between her and tragedy. So she handed the little girl over. And my grandfather turned her horizontally, stomach facing the floor, and gave her a strong whack on the back. And out came a piece of candy that was lodged in her throat. And that little girl was going to be okay. Then he handed her back to the mother, and the mother just stood there, mouth open. The bystanders applauded. When we got to the checkout line to pay for the groceries, the manager said, it's on the house. And we went outside into the parking lot to go back home. And Collier writes, in the parking lot, I asked my grandfather why he helped that woman who had not even, well, she hadn't been kind, but hadn't even bothered to thank him. And he answered, because that's what good people do when they can. We look out for each other. Church, love looks out for each other. The first duty of love is to listen. Love seeks first to understand and then to be understood. But an appeal to love can sound so cliched. For many Christians, love gets relegated to personal relationships and forgiveness of individual sins. But what about the big picture? Good people can still be part of bad systems. The whole remains greater than the sum of its part. For systemic change to happen, the entire system must be addressed. God so loved the world that He sent His Son to save it, the whole system, but not always just one person at a time. Scripture speaks of whole tribes and nations and peoples and languages coming to Christ, Revelation 7, 9. And then in Ephesians 4, in Christ there is one body and spirit, one hope to which you are called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, in all and through all. 
And as one body of Christ, we possess beyond imagination the power, more power than any of us could ever exert on our own. But to fully tap into that power requires sacrificial love. Jesus calls us to lay down our lives, our agendas, our preferences, our priorities, and to take up a cross and follow. As Jesus' disciples, we make plain His passion to do right by the least of these and the lost, the disenfranchised, and the discriminated along with their persecutors. As one global manifestation of Jesus Christ on earth, you and I are capable of changing the world. As the southern preacher Vance Havner once put it, snowflakes are frail, but if enough of them get together, they can stop traffic. So in the spirit of Jesus, let it snow. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the love of Jesus that he laid down his life for us and showed us how to love others. May our love not be cliché. May people hear the name of Jesus and the good news of Jesus more than anything of this earth. We are citizens of heaven and you've called us to step above the things of this earth. We are in the world, but not of it. Thank you that you've given us the call and the power to change the world. In Jesus' name.